Thank you so much for tuning in to the Defending Christianity podcast. I'm your host, Levi Dade, and in this podcast, we aim to talk about the evidence and reasons for why the Christian faith is true and why it is good. We do this with the hope to encourage the church to engage the culture around us and to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus as 1 Peter 3.15 commands. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. Uh, so mm-hmm. I kind of want to transition now to engaging the minds of our students because sure, sure. You know, th- this is a big topic for, for anyone who's in the church and who has any influence over kids, uh, any youth or even young adults now. Uh, this is usually given in a speaking format, correct? Not not just an interview. So you just take it for yeah, as, yeah. as long as you need, need and want. Um, I might pop in for a question or two, but sure. yeah, the stage is yours. Yeah, maybe we can go back and forth on some of these yeah. ideas. Um, the The way this developed, the engaging the minds of our students kind of material um, was because I had I, re, I receive messages all the time. Uh, sometimes they're emails, sometimes they're direct messages from parents and uh, youth pastors and pastors, grandparents. Um, when I go places, uh, I was just at a camp last week. I spoke Monday to Friday. I was the morning speaker at a camp. And um, I talked to many uh, uh, grandparents at this particular camp who were expressing how their young person grown up in the church no longer follows Christ. And usually those emails are something like the student grows up in a Christian home. Maybe they even go to a Christian school they do youth group. Maybe they're even involved in the church. Maybe they're on the worship team or something. <clears throat> and then they and then they hit a certain age. Uh, it could be that they're in university or college. Now it's actually earlier than that. Sometimes they're 15 years old and they've come to their parents and their family and friends and said, you know, I don't believe this stuff anymore. I don't, I'm no longer, I wouldn't call myself a Christian anymore. I've uh, the new the new term, and I'm writing a book on this. is called deconstruction, okay? Or the hashtag is exvangelical, you know, this kind of thing. And so I, I was getting these, and I've been getting them for years. These kinds of messages, and I thought, what is going on here? Um, and how do we respond to this thing? Is there is there a way that the church can respond, or we can do better? Is there something we're missing? Um, and so what I did was uh, I started to think about this and it seemed to me there's this famous iconic photo of Muhammad Ali kind of standing over Sonny Liston, the heavyweight match. And Liston took a right hook to the chin, something like that. He's on the mat looking up at Muhammad Ali, just towering over him. And I think we would all agree that that's a bad time for Sonny Liston to be asking for boxing resources, you know? But to me, it's like, this is the picture I get. It's like, Tim, my son is now, uh, you know, in, in university. He's had one semester and he no longer believes. He says there is no God. Dawkins is right. You know, this kind of thing. And they're like, so is there a book you could recommend? Or maybe, uh, do you have a video that I could send him? And I'm thinking, it's 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 almost too late. I mean, we all we all recognize that the preparation needs to come before the battle. 
before the boxing match, uh, not in the midst of it. Now, if we're in the midst of it, so be it. We'll, we'll work with that. But frankly, you know, when your back's against the mat, that's the wrong time. We need to be uh, engaging our young people's minds. This is hence the title of the talk. Um, or as early as possible. And I get asked all the time, how early, Tim? How early? And my answer is earlier. Okay. So I don't know what the answer is for each student. Each student's going to be different. But for my kids, I've been challenging their faith since they were six years old. I've been asking them, why do they believe in God? Oh, because you believe in God, daddy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Da okay. Daddy believes in God, but why do you? And is there good arguments for God? And by the way, who made God? My six-year-old knows how to respond to the question, who made God? Which is the central argument in Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, which influenced many people. I mean, they're all over the internet. That's influenced them to, to leave Christianity. Now, I get it. Dawkins is not, his book is like low-hanging fruit. There's a lot of better arguments out there for atheism. I'm just using Dawkins as an example because, frankly, his book was a bestseller and had probably a bigger impact than some of these other atheists that um, that most people wouldn't even be aware of. So, um, so my point is, we got to start early. And and what does it look like to engage the minds of our students? Um, and that's what we're going to get to in a minute here. But it might be helpful. So you, you're tracking with me so far. So far, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. So some people might be thinking, Tim, you know, you're an apologist. And, um, you know, you have to say this kind of thing, like your job depends on it. So you got to make everything about apologetics. And I, look at, I'm, I hopefully I'm a, I'm a realist when it comes to apologetics. I think there's a, there's a place for it. And then there's, there's a place for other things. Okay. Apologetics doesn't solve all the world's problems. But it does address, it does solve a specific problem the church has. And that is a problem with um, students who come to doubt and be skeptical of the claims of Christianity. And um, what we found is when you look at the research that, that's out there, that's been done over the last couple of decades, and there's tons of research out there, um, one, one specific study really important, was done by Barna uh, and David Kinnaman. He actually wrote a book called You Lost Me. I think it was 2011 or 2012. And in the book, You Lost Me, he, he goes through why young people leave the faith. And uh, I'll have to refresh my memory on some of these. Okay, so the top six reasons he goes through. He says, and, I'll, and we'll talk about these as we go, but he says, isolationism. The church demonizes everything outside the church, like music, movies, culture, technology, all that stuff. Okay, so they're saying, hey, we're isolated. That's why we're leaving the church. Some say shallowness. That's number two, shallowness. And a good number of young people think that faith is irrelevant and unclear and just frankly too shallow. The third thing was anti-science. Many found that the church was out of step with science, modern science. The fourth thing was sex. That is um, all the issues related to sex. So 
um, everything from all the LGBT stuff, you know, Christians are homophobic, transphobic. Um, they're too, they're, they're prudish, um, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Bigoted, you name it. So all the sex issues. Fifth was exclusivity. Um, that's the word they use. And what they're referring to is the exclusivity of Christ. How can you say Jesus is the only way? And that almost sounds like intolerant or something. You know, how can you say that you have truth and everyone else doesn't? And then finally, the sixth thing, because it was like the six reasons, was they used the word doubters. And they said the church is not, this is interesting, it's not a safe place to express your doubts. Oh, man. I mean, and that is like, that hurts me because we have, we're, we're in a, a doubting culture right now, a skeptical culture. And if the church is not a safe place to express those doubts, man, those people are going to go other places where they can express them. Like maybe the university or maybe their friends or whatever. So here's the point. When I look at those six, the summary of those six reasons why young people leave the church. And by the way, Kinnaman says that it's like three in every five young people who grow up in the church by the age of 15 disengage or disconnect. And those are some of the reasons. What we found, what I found is when I look at those reasons, man, standard reason has been writing about those issues and dealing with those issues as an apologetics ministry for the last number of decades since it started, really. I mean, I came on on with standard reason in 2015, but long before I got there, they were talking about the exclusivity of Christ. They were answering the doubters question. They were talking about the sex issues, not just truth, but with compassion. They were talking about this isolation idea, which is just a horrible thing that's going on in the church. We can, we can talk more about that. We were taking students deep. So shallowness, we were addressing that issue over and over and over again. We were addressing these issues. This is the world of apologetics. Now, does it solve everything? No, lots of students leave for other reasons. But when it comes to intellectual doubt and skepticism, this is where apologetics can actually serve a purpose in, in, in yeah. response. And so when churches neglect apologetics, it's to our detriment because we know the students have these these answers and these challenges and apologetics is stepping up to the plate and answering these particular challenges so that's where yeah go ahead Uh, i'm sorry i was saying if you think about doubting can actually be served as an apologetic itself because christianity if i'm not mistaken is one of the few religions if not the only one who invites doubt and questions yeah uh because it subjects itself to historical inquiry to to, mm-hmm. to be investigated, right? That's um, right. Even you look at the way that Jesus handled John the Baptist's question in mm-hmm. Matthew 11. You know, he, he didn't yeah. say just have faith and stop asking questions or I'll smite yeah. you. He said, you know, what? Go, go back and tell John what you have seen. And then he offers evidence. Mm-hmm. The blind That's right. are, uh, can That's see, right. the, the lame can walk, the dead are raised. And that's so he came from another scripture from Isaiah. But but anyway, my, my point is Jesus handles doubt and questions with mm-hmm. grace. So should his church. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean, there's so much we could talk about when it comes to questioning. But Jesus, I mean, you read the Gospels. He asked more questions than he answered. 
And that's because that was his tool of choice to get people to think. And so questions are not the enemy. Questions are not bad. We should encourage questions. We worship a questioning God. And what I mean by that is go back and read Genesis 1, 2, 3. What you find is Jesus, or you find God there questioning Adam and Eve. So questions, I mean, there, and of course, we're, we are designed to, to know things. All creatures, all humans, I should say, long to know. And the way we come to know things is through questioning. And the way we come to change our mind is often through doubting. And so you're exactly right on this. And John the Baptist is a great example um, uh, of, of here's Jesus responding to doubt in a certain way. In fact, in that, in that example you just, you just gave, Jesus pays John the Baptist the highest compliment. After yep. all, after he's raised his doubt, he turns to his disciples and says, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. That's yeah. after John has expressed his doubt. So, I mean, it's just, it, it, we should be, of all the religions out there, the one who is open to hearing people's doubts and questions. And that's why Jude, I mean, Jude says, I think it's Jude 22, says, have mercy on those who doubt. It's a mm -hmm. command given in scripture that we're to have mercy. It's almost like, um, it's almost like Jude knew that maybe we wouldn't. I mean, that's why he gives the command, I think, because there's something in us when we hear a doubt, when we hear someone questioning, we start to judge, we, you know, something in our heart that's like, oh, wow, they're, they're questioning this, they're doubting this. Um, and, and that's wrong. We ought to have mercy on yes. those who doubt. Okay, so, so the point is, just to summarize, we not only need to teach what we believe but we also should teach why we believe it so christianity isn't just and we do this i mean it, there's the catechism stuff and we get and my kids they've memorized you know answers to certain questions but and and that's part of you know learning christian doctrine but we want to come behind that doctrine and understand what's the foundation why is it do, that we believe these certain things and um and that's an important part of faith. And when you don't have the why, I often will say, if you can't give a why for your faith, you will never be able to give a why not for your doubts or to your doubts. Oh. And that's why doubts can be so deadly. They don't have to be, but they certainly are when we neglect the why of our faith. So here's, so what's the solution to all this? And when I was thinking about this, um, I was also reading um, Jay Warner Wallace's book, um, So the Next Generation Will Know, okay? So him and Sean McDowell wrote a really great book. Um, for those of you who have high schoolers or you're a youth pastor, um, So the Next Generation Will Know is a book by two really awesome apologists. And in the book, I think it's in the book, where Jay Warner Wallace outlines um, this concept where he says, we need to stop teaching our young people and start training our young people. We need to stop teaching them and start training them. And as a teacher, I'm thinking, whoa, 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 wait a second here, Mr. J. Warner Wallace. Um, <laughs> what do you mean we should stop teaching them? And what he means is 
when you teach, you're just taking information or knowledge from your head and, and trying to get it into the heads of your students. Okay, that's why when I teach a math class or a science class, I'm literally trying to take the knowledge that's in my head or maybe in the textbook and get it into their head one way or the other. Okay, and I get creative. Maybe it's through experiments. Maybe it's through videos. Maybe it's through, I mean, all kinds of things. Okay, well, what's training? Training is teaching in preparation for a battle. Training is teaching in preparation for a battle. So what do I mean? Well, think of a think of a UFC fighter. So some of your some of our audience here, they may not like UFC. Well, they don't have to to understand the analogy, okay? But take a UFC fighter. They will spend hours practicing their punches. They'll spend days, you know, uh, mastering their technique, their their um, holds, their kicks. They'll spend hours on the speed bag. I mean, there's all these different things that they're they're doing to train. Why? Because they know there is a battle. There is a date on the calendar where they will be face-to-face with an aggressive opponent. I mean, think about, think about a UFC fighter who has no fight schedule. Um, and he knows one's not coming. Well, he'll, he might spend more time on the couch than in the gym, right? So, so it's, it's something about that like date on the calendar that really gets you moving, okay? And um, I mean, I think about it in terms of going on vacation. When I when I know I'm when I got like the flights booked for a vacation in say you know Jamaica or something, all of a sudden I'm going to the gym more. Why? Because I know there's a date on the calendar where I got to be in a bathing suit. You know that kind of thing. So people understand. They know that the date on the calendar motivates. And um, and it should all the more motivate us when we're talking about a battle that's coming. And so, okay, so how do we, how do we uh, train instead of teach? It's one thing to just, oh man, that sounds so good, but how do you actually do it? And what Jay Warner does, and I do this in my talk, is he uses an acronym, TRAIN, T-R-A-I-N, T-R-A-I-N. And each one of those letters represents how you are going to turn teaching into training, okay? So hopefully um, hopefully this tracks really well. Um, but one thing before, before I give you the, the acronym, something I should say about, about teaching. Okay, I used to be a math teacher. And math is a hard subject to teach. Um, partly... Not because it's super complicated, and some people think it is, but that's not why. It, it's because it's hard to make it relevant. In fact, every math teacher gets this question. I got it numerous times. Every math teacher gets this question. Some student will shoot up their hand and say, Mr. B, or whoever, when will I need to use this? What they're asking is, why do I need to know this? So you're studying like the slope of a line, you know, Y equals MX plus B, you know, where M's a slope and B is the Y intercept or something. And so, and so you're, you're teaching this on the blackboard and someone says, when do I need to know this? And I'm thinking, uh, good question. 
you know? The answer I always give is you're going to need it for the test, okay? So that's why you're going to need it. But they're obviously, they're thinking like, in terms of my life, yeah. when is this going to be relevant? And for some of them, let's be honest, it won't, it won't be relevant. There's lots of stuff I learned from calculus and algebra that I will never use, okay? I used it when I you know, taught maybe, but now that I'm not a full-time teacher in, in math, um, I, I don't need it. And mm -hmm. I'm actually living life without it pretty well, okay? <laughs> so, so we wanna make, we, the point is, how do we make this relevant? And I'll tell you what, it becomes really relevant when, when the doubts come when the crisis hit hits when you know all of a sudden life was good and now my boyfriend or my boyfriend girlfriend broke up with me or maybe uh someone in my family just got diagnosed with cancer and i'm thinking where's god um or and the list goes on and on and on okay um there's lots of crisis that happens that gets things moving the questions start coming the doubts start arising and, and that can lead to what Jesus said, people falling away. Jesus talked about people falling away, um, in particular in the parable of the, so the soils. Okay, so let's go, let's go to the train acronym. So you're still with me, right, Levi? Still with you. Okay, and do you have any questions up to this point, or do you want me to keep going? No, I, I think I, I understand where you're going with the why yeah. is it relevant question, because you know, I've preached to my church a few times and I've always tried to bring in apologetics. And mm -hmm. there's always that, that they have the faith that, you know, that that's what they're, 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 they're thinking. It's like, why, why are we learning this? Yeah. You know, yeah. cause they're just so not used to it. They're used to the almost spiritual, emotional aspect of worship, which is yeah. a good thing. And, and, and we, 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 it's, it's obviously a part of it, but it's not the mm -hmm. thing. And yeah, if it's not yeah. there, it's like they're, they're done. They're they're zoned out. They're thinking about the game or something. And yeah, I faced yeah. this struggle with the, with how do I make it relevant for the people in my life? So so I I understand exactly what where you're going with that. Yeah, that's that's really good. And pastors, if you're listening, one of the things I like to if I'm going to start a, a a sermon <laughs> is I want to hook the I want to hook the audience. This is what, you know, in teacher's college, we were taught, you got to have a hook at the beginning of your lesson. And the hook is like, what's going to grab the students? What's going to bring them in? And um, what I like to do is start with like a really challenging problem, you know? Um, so if I'm going to talk about the problem of evil and I want to get people to sit up in their chair, I'm going to describe some horrific evil to start the lesson and then say, yeah, if God is all good and all powerful, and all knowing, then why did that happen? How can you believe in a good God? You know, and I wanted just to sit on them like this heavy. And, and now in, in the rest of the service, I'm going to try and take that burden off a little bit. Now, the problem with evil is it's a hard one because you don't just leave with the full answer. I mean, no, there, no one's totally got this thing figured out. But there are some things we can do to, to take that burden off, okay? Some responses. But there's lots of questions, you know? How can you, okay, you, you think that the universe um, had a beginning um, and it was made by God? Well, yeah, who made God then? You think everything, everything had, was made? Okay, who made God? So you need a God to make your God. You know, that kind of thing. You, and I, I put it on the show, and now I'm like, 
okay, now I'm going to explain why this isn't as big a deal. Is it to the Christian at least? Because our concept of God is is uncreated, unmade, the uncreated creator. So anyways, um, back to this. So yep. th- that was kind of a side thing. You, you want to like make it relevant. And I'll talk about that when we get to the, uh, to the I. Thank you so much for joining us today on Finding Christianity Podcast. I hope and pray that you were encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And if you're someone who's seeking truth, I hope and pray that you have gotten closer to that because Jesus is the truth. Join us next time on the Defending Christianity Podcast. God bless.